Oh guys, thanks so much for having me here. It's such a pleasure and an honour to be here. And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, which I generally tend to be. I've been incredibly nervous about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm here. And, um, and just before when I was kind of like processing with Jesus that I was feeling nervous, I just had this beautiful picture of like the Trinity standing with me just saying, you know, we're so proud of you. And like where we go with you and we stand behind you and... Um, yeah, that's a beautiful picture and I'm just holding, I'm envisioning that and holding on to it. So I'm Lani, um, I am a mum of two little girls and I am 29 and I'm actually a pastor's daughter. Um, and my dad was a really, he was, when he preached, oh my goodness, when I was a little girl, he was my hero. And when he preached, I was just like, I just loved watching him preach so much. He was very passionate. If you're in the front row, you may have got sprayed a little bit. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Um, but he was such a passionate preacher, and I loved that so much, and I loved to watch him, and I just never imagined that, yeah, that I would be, I don't know, standing here one day. But, um, yeah, Liam said that I have 45 minutes. Um, my dad was well known for going over 45 minutes, but I will try to cap it today at a reasonable point so we can all go on with our days. Um, I want to start by reading a blessing out of Ephesians. It's a prayer and a blessing that Paul wrote for the Ephesians, and it's for love to overflow. And I read it in the ESV translation and that's great and it's so beautiful but I really love the passion translation because it's so emotive and for me it kind of gives my soul a picture um, to connect with and I love pictures I'm very visual so I'm just going to read this to start with um, and bless you all with what um, Paul prayed for the Ephesians <clears throat> So I kneel humbly in awe before the Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the perfect Father of every father and child in heaven and on earth. And I pray that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favour until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Then, by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Then you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely, infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all, for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Now we offer up to God all the glorious praise that rises from every church in every generation through Jesus Christ and all that will yet be made manifest through time and eternity. Amen. 
<laughs> I want to talk to you about the love of loves. So I love in the Old Testament how often when um, the writers wanted to kind of like tell you that it was something was the greatest of something, they would say the Song of Songs, the Lord of Lords, the God of Gods, um, because it was the greatest of these things. And I want to talk to you about the love of loves, the greatest love of all the loves. I believe that the Father is calling his beloved ones into a dance of intimacy and love with his heart, that he is drawing us back to our first love and recapturing our hearts from all the places that they have become distracted. I believe that he's singing a song of hope over me and over you and over the generations and over the earth. And it's a song of restoring our identity. It's a song of healing. It's a song of repairing. It's a song of binding up. But I also believe that it won't necessarily look, necessarily look like what you expect. Because I think sometimes we expect to find God's love on the mountaintop. And we do. We do find it there because God's love goes with us throughout all the earth. But sometimes I think that we are confronted by discomfort and situations that push us out of our control, like we're in one right now. The whole earth is in one right now. And it's uncomfortable and it's outside of our control and it can be really hard in these places to, um, to experience God's love. But I think it's actually in these places that we can have the greatest revelation of his love. We can experience the love of loves in these places in a way that we can't actually experience it anywhere else. I've been learning about his heart poured out for me in the wilderness. And um, a wilderness is like this, like, I don't know what you imagine when you imagine a wilderness, but what I imagine is kind of like a desert. So it's dry, there's, it's hot, there's not a lot to see, you're thirsty, you're tired, the sun is relentlessly beating down on you, and there's no place of rest, there's no place of refuge, there's no place to shelter. But I actually believe that God sometimes, the Father, sometimes allows us to be drawn into the wilderness because he knows that that is the place where he can speak to us and it will be still and quiet and we will hear his voice with a clarity that we may not hear when we're in the bustle of flourishing everyday life. Hosea says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. I'm going to, oh, this is the message translation. I like to read multiple translations. It helps give me a fuller picture. I'm going to start all over again. I'm taking her back out into the wilderness where we had our first date and I'll court her. I'll give her bank bouquets of roses. I'll turn heartbreak valley into acres of hope. She'll respond like she did as a young girl, those days when she was fresh out of Egypt. I just love that picture so much because the, it just, it actually takes my picture of what a wilderness is and it flips it on its head. So my picture of a wilderness is desolate and hopeless. But what God's saying is that this picture of the wilderness is a place of new intimacy. It's a place of remembering who the father is, how, his heart for you, that he is 
He wants to capture your heart. He wants to woo you. He wants to court you. He wants to draw you back into this beautiful romance. And it's a romance that is so powerful and so profound that it takes your heartbreak and it takes a valley and a desert of heartbreak and it turns it into acres of hope. And that has not been my understanding of the wilderness. I think the wilderness is something that we run from. Like it's something that I have run from. No one sits in their prayer closet and goes, Lord, just take me, take me into the desert. Take me into the wilderness. Take me to that place that's really going to stretch me at every level and push me to my capacity to survive. No one prays that prayer. They're like, God, take me to the mountaintop. Take me to the places of praise and abundance. And those are good prayers to pray. Like we shouldn't not pray those things. But I think sometimes we're so busy trying to avoid discomfort that we're actually missing out on a really, um, a really profound and beautiful invitation to come away to the quiet place with the Lord, where we're stripped back and the distraction is silenced. There are times that we end up in the wilderness by accident. I think there are times that we end up in the wilderness by consequence of choices that we've made. And then there are times that we are led there to be wooed, to rest, to hear and to receive from him. I spent the better part of 29 years trying so hard to be worthy of that love and to know that I am loved. And I desperately, desperately just wanted to know that I had value and I had a place and, and that I was seen and that I was known and that the history that I had come from and the choices that I had made, that they didn't define me. But in doing that, in desperately wanting to be loved and to be worthy, I actually stripped myself of the opportunity of leaning on Jesus because I became so like self-sufficient. It was about me earning my perfection. It was about me earning my holiness, about me earning my blamelessness. Like that was something that would go through my head, I want to be blameless. I don't want to leave a trail of mistakes behind me. I want to be perfect so I don't have to face the pain of mistakes. And it was just, it was exhausting. And I actually was so ashamed of myself. I was so ashamed of who I was. And the Lord had started talking to me um, you know, right back when I was 19 and I first started coming back to church, I got pregnant. My life was just in shambles and I didn't know where to go, but I'd grown up in church. And so I thought, well, I don't know where else to go. So I'll go back to church. And he started talking to me then and he talked, and it's been, I mean, I'm 29. That was 10 years ago. It's been 10 years of him restoring my identity and telling me that he loves me. But it was only last year where I entered into, I would say, my greatest experience of wilderness, my greatest experience of isolation. Greater, a greater experience of isolation than this year. This year has been the year of isolation for us corporately, but last year was my year of isolation individually. It was my year of coming before the, God, the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of lords, and saying, can you still love me? I, I am feeling the crushing weight of my shame and I don't know if you love me. I don't know if you can love me in this 
even though I'm a bit of a mess, even though I don't know if I'm worthy, even though I don't know how to, to be at your feet and rest, can you still love me? And what I've been learning about his love is that it is strong and fierce, it's jealous and it's burning and it's steadfast and it is unashamed. There is no point in God's pouring out of his love that he gets embarrassed by how much he loves us. He is never embarrassed by his love for us. He, is never, he never waters it down. He never holds it back. He never kind of checks to see who's looking before he pours it out on us. It is extravagant and it is abundant. And he loves us so much that he will come and find his beloved wherever she is. So for me, that was in the midst of heavy wrestle and question and anxiety and doubt and even like at times depression where I just didn't know, like I didn't know how to put it all back together again. My life had fallen apart and I was like, God, I don't know how to put this all back together again. You can't possibly want this. You can't possibly want me. But he did not, there was no point that he stopped pursuing me. There was no point that he was like, where I would show him, I actually went through a stage where I would show him things. I'd be like, oh, you think that you love me, but I actually haven't shown you this thing yet. Like the Lord of heaven and earth didn't know that it was there, but I haven't shown you this thing yet. And if I show you this thing, then I know that that's the point. I was testing him. I know that that's the point that you'd be like, oh yeah, no, this is too much for me to clean up. Sorry, girl, like I did my best, but, um, but yeah, you really pushed me past the point of my capacity. So I would show him things again and again, thinking that th that would be the time that he would brand me by what I had already branded myself as a, as a disappointment, as like this, yeah, just this, this big disappointment. Like I should have tried harder and I didn't try harder. And, and because of that, he like, he's done with me. There's this really beautiful scripture in Hosea. Hosea is a really great book of the Bible, I've found out. And it says, Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love, and I became to them one who eases the yoke on their jaws. I bent down to feed them. I learnt in my season of being brought to my knees. I couldn't walk anymore in my own strength. I wasn't enough for me anymore. I could see that so clearly. I was no longer enough for me. And in this season of being on my knees before the Lord and saying, can you still love me? He came to me and he said, you were always enough for me. I actually had this picture. I had this picture of Jesus and I in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was in that moment of crying and, and this agony that he was in as he wrestled with this thing that he was about to do. And I looked at his face and he was on his knees and I was standing before him and I looked at his face and I just wept because I said, Jesus, you've done so much for me. And I can't ever be enough for you. 
Like, I'll never be worthy of what you've done. And he looked me in the eyes and he was crying and he said, but you were always enough for me. It was your heart that carried me to the cross. And that broke me. That broke me. Like this Jesus, this perfect Jesus who didn't have to leave heaven. He was in perfect blemishless love in eternity with the Holy Spirit and with the Father in this beautiful dance where it's like, I love you. Oh, I love you. No, I love you so much. Not in that corny way, but in this deep, profound, like we know each other. We have complete vulnerability, complete trust in each other. And we love each other and we love each other with the fullness and without shame. This Jesus, he chose to leave that perfect love because his love for me was enough. It wasn't about anything that I did. I hadn't even been born yet. And that's what blows my mind. In eternity, before the foundations of the world, they are loving each other, having the fullness of each other. And they were like, hey, like we love each other so much that we're gonna bring, we're gonna expand our family. We're gonna expand, we're gonna bring these messy, human beings in they're like toddlers nobody has kids to make life more simple nobody's like ah man ah, our life is so perfect what will make it more simple oh kids no because kids are messy chaotic little human beings we love them we adore them we pour our lives into them but they do not make life less chaotic and so they're there in eternity and they're having like they're living the perfect the perfect romance between each other like they have everything that they need and they're like hey our love is so big and so vast and so extravagant let's expand our family let's grow our love and they and they knew us like Jesus knew me in that space like before the foundations of the earth he knew me and he was like oh you are worth it I've seen every single day of your life. I've written the story of your life. I have a book on your life. And I say that every single day is worth it. That every choice you make, you are still worth it. And I'm going to cross eternity. And I am going to put myself into the body of a human because you were enough for me. And it's not because of anything that you did. I tried so hard. Let me tell you how hard I tried to be perfect. If you, like, don't do it. I don't recommend it. It is not a good time and it will lead you to constant disappointment. There's a song that he is singing. There is a dance that he's a dancing. It's an eternal song, an eternal dance, and it's one of invitation and romance. And it's one where he strips back everything you thought you had to do to be worthy of this eternal love. And he goes, hey, Come into this quiet, secret place with me. Come into the wilderness. I will draw you into this wilderness because I am jealous for your affection. I am jealous for your love. I don't want to share you with the rest of the world. I want you to myself because you were enough and you always were. And I have been dreaming of you from eternity. And I don't want to share you any longer. I don't want you to be distracted any longer. I want your attention. I want your eyes to look upon me as my eyes gaze upon you. And I will teach you how to walk again. I will pick you up by your arms. And I will be the one who teaches you how to enter into this dance. I will be the one who teaches you how to sing the song of your soul. Our souls long for him and his soul longs for ours. 
And there is this beautiful moment where his soul is singing over us and we start to learn the words and sing the song back. And it's when deep cries out for deep and when our, our innermost sanctuary collides with his innermost sanctuary. He becomes the one. He leads us with kindness. So this is something I didn't know about God. I didn't know he was kind. I knew he was righteous. I knew God was a righteous God. Earlier this year, I was like, hey, God, I really think we should talk about your righteousness. And he was like, yeah, I really think we should talk about my kindness. I was like, no, God, no. Like, I mean, yes, because you're God and you can talk about whatever you want to talk about. But also, I really think we need to talk. I want to know about your holiness. I want to know about your righteousness. He's like, yeah, I really just want to talk to you about my kindness. Because it's something that I didn't know about. Like, I kind of knew about it. Like, I kind of read about it in the Bible. I kind of heard about it. But I hadn't been able to receive it or experience it for myself because I was still so busy trying to be perfect. It's really hard to, be, to receive uh, an, a unconditional kindness when you're trying really hard to be, to be perfect in your own power and your own strength. And so he's the one who started to, he began to lead me. I can't, like, I almost, I'm so visual. When I read that scripture, I imagined like a ribbon being like, like kind of brought around me and he's starting to pull me with this ribbon and I'm just following him. My eyes are on his and his are on mine and I just start following him. I don't know where we're going. I don't know how to go where he wants to go, but I trust that he will lead me there because I figured it out that I can't do it on my own because it's no good and it always ends up in a bit of a mess. He's singing to his bride and desiring to draw her back to her first love. And it's from our knees that he will teach us to walk and to run and to dance again. In Ephesians 1, 3 to 10, and I've kind of already talked about this, but it's just so beautiful. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth. He has been calling to us from eternity. It's a song that restores our identity. It's a song that makes us sons and daughters. It's a song that redeems us from our choices and our history and our family's choices because how often do we actually carry the mistakes of the generations that go before us? They become our identity. And instead of being born again with this new identity, we say stuck in the old identity of the past and we repeat the cycles, trying so hard not to repeat the cycles. There's an invitation and we don't have to accept it. We can just be saved. Being saved is enough. We can accept Jesus and be saved and make it over the finish line. I don't wanna live a life just being saved. 
I want to live a life that breaks open the fullness of Jesus. I want to live a life where the beauty of who he is wrecks me every day. When I think about where I've been and who I am and how that was all him, I didn't do it. So if you met me when I was 19, you would know someone who had no sense of self-worth. I was looked to every, like this is vulnerability. I looked to every man who came my way and said, will you love me? Because maybe if you love me, then I'll be enough. I was depressed. I like, I barely remember the three first years of motherhood because I was so broken. And I look at who I am today and I'm like, I didn't do that on my own. If I had done it on my own, I would have been selfish all along the way. I would have chosen the easy way out all along the way. I would have chosen comfort all along the way. But it's been in the discomfort that Jesus has been digging deeper wells. It's been in the deep, deep discomfort that I have learnt to lean on him and that he will never fail me. He will never walk away from me. There is no point where he's going to turn to me and be like, you're right. Uh, yes, well, I mean, I really had good intentions to clean you up, but um, you just keep on making a mess and I just don't know what to do with you. And my, like, I would never do that to my children. My children make messes a thousand times a day and I go in and I clean it up or I help them clean it up. But there's no mess where I'm going to draw the line and go, well, that was too far and now I'm done. Jesus is God, the father is not the father who walks out on his children. He isn't that dad. He is not the dad who is ashamed of you. He is not the dad who is disappointed in you. He is not the dad who says, well, you weren't enough for me and you didn't try hard enough, so now I'm done. <clears throat> there is a story in Mark, and it is my most favorite story in the Bible. And it's a story that really only probably came, to, like, I mean, I've grown up reading the Bible, so I knew, I knew the story, but it's a story last year that pierced me, it pierced my soul. It's so beautiful. It is so beautiful. And I read that story and I'm like, this is how I want my life to be remembered. It's Mark 14, 3 to 9. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at a table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like this? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. This is a woman of worship, offering her most valuable, valuable possession. And if you envision the scene, and I've heard lots of different like, speakers and pastors talk about this, have you ever imagined having oil poured out over you? I've had many accidents spilling oil because I, that's just my special gifting is that I'm good at spilling things, as my friends will attest to. And it's a hot mess to clean up. It is not a fun time cleaning up oil spillages. 
<clears throat> it takes a lot of paper toweling, a lot. So she poured this valuable, and I don't think that she was a woman of great wealth. So what she had was her inheritance, really. It was her thing of most prized, her most prized earthly possession. And it was messy. And what else I noticed is that it was confronting to the people who were watching. People were embarrassed and disgusted and ashamed of the way she poured out her offering to Jesus. But to Jesus, it was beautiful. He said, what she has done, she has done a beautiful thing for me. And that's, that's like we have this invitation, right? And we get to choose our response. And I want to be known, but the story of my life, like if I'm remembered by the next generation, what I want them to say about me is that I poured out the most prized possession I had and that it was beautiful to Jesus, even if it was a bit messy sometimes. And the thing that I have to offer, the only thing that I really have to offer is my heart. And I want my offering to be broken open and poured out. And I found that for me, the breaking open happened in my deepest discomfort. It happened in my wilderness. It happened last year. And it continues to happen. Like It doesn't happen one time. It happens again and again and in deeper, more beautiful, more like glorious ways. From Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then in the Passion, beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvellous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices and to live in holiness, experience all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. My response to his marvelous mercies, his jealous, fierce, burning love, is the sacrifice and surrender of all that I am and my heart is all that I am. Like I, my, like, I am my heart and my heart is me and my soul and my mind. It's all one. And the most beautiful expression of worship I can give him is the sacrifice and surrender of that. And I can tell you that it is messy and it is undignified and it is raw. And sometimes it's a wrestle. There was a time earlier this year where Jesus was asking me to surrender something and I couldn't run away from him because I know too much to run away now. Like I know too much of his love to know that there's anywhere better that I could go. But I did come to him and I said, Jesus, I don't know if I can surrender that to you. And I'm scared. I'm scared because if I can't surrender that, what does that mean? that I can't surrender this thing when you have surrendered everything for me. He didn't run away from me. He didn't condemn me. Instead, he sat with me and he listened to my fears. And then he said, I know that you don't know how to do this. And that's okay. 
I'm just, I'm going to show you. Let me show you. Do you trust me enough to let me lead you? He longs for our hearts in all of their vulnerable, human glory. He doesn't want less of us. He wants more of us. Instead of trying to strip off the things that are not aesthetically pleasing, strip off our skin and the parts of us that make us so human, he's like, stop trying to strip off all the bits you think aren't beautiful and bring them to me and I will make them beautiful. He longs for the pouring out of our heart with nothing held back. The um, story of the woman who anointed Jesus is also in um, Matthew and in John. And in John, it said that the fragrance of the perfume filled the house. Our surrender is a fragrant perfume that fills the temple of the Lord. When we pour our hearts out to him, to him there is nothing more exquisite. There is no greater example of our trusting him than we will take all of it to him. David was the perfect example of that. I love reading Psalms because he was so human, but he didn't hide any of it from the Father. He brought all of it to him, the good bits, the bad bits, the bits in between. All of it was an offering. All of it was a living sacrifice to the Lord. We can learn the eternal dance because he will teach us. We can sing the song of songs because he will teach us that too. We were created for this intimacy, but we have to be open to the, to the, to the idea that it can come in unexpected ways and places. Jesus spent quite a bit of time in the wilderness because it was quiet there and he was on his own. And I've come to a place where I don't want to be afraid of being on my own with the Lord. I don't want to be afraid of the uncomfortableness of that. I want to lean into my beloved. Jesus is my beloved. In Song of Solomons, it talks about, it says, there's that beautiful scripture that says, um, Look who comes up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved. She, like that again, that's the picture of the woman with the alabaster jar who anointed Jesus. It's the woman who knows that she can't do it in her own strength. And she leans on her beloveds and she trusts him to lead her and to draw her after him. Sometimes our worship, the living sacrifice of, of our worship, it will be confronting to people. There are times where you just have to go, you know what? You may not understand this and that's okay because I'm following Jesus. It's got to be his voice, guys. It's got to be his voice first. We have healthy community. We have healthy church. We, we submit ourselves to leadership. We submit ourselves to wise counsel, but it's got to be the father's voice that directs our life. It's got to be. Otherwise, we end up in places of disappointment. And we may end up there anyway, but we know that the Father will never forsake us. He'll never walk away from us. He'll always find his beloved. He will always go looking for her and he knows where she is and he knows what she needs. We always have options in how we respond. And there have been times where I have medicated on things like Netflix or on relationships that are easier or on um, 
escape, just escaping. There's so many ways that we escape. Sometimes it could even be things like for me, like exercise, like I escape, I pour my, pour my, um, my wrestle into exercise or just something that's not God <laughs> because I don't, like, I don't want to come before him and, and be in this place where I just have to ask him again, like, God, do you love me? Like, God, do you approve of me? God, do I carry your approval and your affirmation? God, am I your beloved? But every time I do, because I always hit a point where I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I have to go. I have to know. He always responds the same way. He's like, oh, my girl, I love you so much. There wasn't a day that I was disappointed in you. There was a point earlier this year where um, God said to me, he's like, Alana, you are more convinced of my disappointment than you are of my love. And that was like, for me, I was like, it made so much sense because that's the way I'd been living. It was like, oh my goodness, that's so confronting, but it makes so much sense because this is the way I've been living. And at that point I was like, that's it. I don't want to do this anymore. I do not want this to be the dance of the rest of my life of like coming in, being afraid of disappointment, pulling back out. I want to be able to be so grounded, so deeply rooted in his love that I never ever question whether I have to leave again. Where it's like, I am that oak of righteousness. My roots have gone down so deep. I know too much to ever leave this position of surrender and sacrifice and being broken open and poured out and receiving his love and, and pouring my love back out to him. <laughs> yeah. I want... I want to be okay with wherever he leads and know that wherever he's going, it's good for me to go with him. No matter what it feels like, because life feels like a lot of things. <laughs> and we give value to our feelings and we acknowledge our feelings, but they can't drive the car, you know. Like God's, Jesus has got to be the one driving. <clears throat> I guess at this point, I want to invite you to respond because the invitation is not just for me. The invitation is for us all. You know, we are his bride. We are his beloved. You are his beloved. He desires you above all else. He crossed eternity for you. He created the world to give you a home. He didn't have to because he had perfection. They had perfection within themselves. They didn't need more. So this is my invitation to you. It's kind of like homework. I love homework. <laughs> I'm that person that whenever like a group leader is like, oh, so we're going to have homework. I'm like, yes, love homework. Give me that homework. I like to excel at homework. <laughs> um, so here's your homework. I want you to... You've got options, so you can pick what suits you. Or if you're a real overachiever, you can do all of them. <laughs> Ask the Holy Spirit what, the, what his tender word is for you right now. So he speaks tenderly to his beloved. He's not going to punish you. He's not going to hurt you. He's not going to smack you for being naughty. 
he wants to speak a tender word over you. He actually, this is something that I've learned that's really cool. He wants your heart to feel safe. So with this whole idea of surrender and me feeling like I couldn't surrender this thing, Jesus knew my heart didn't feel safe. So he spent time making it feel safe, allowing it to feel safe so that when I broke open and I did surrender, it was without fear because I knew that I was in a safe space. So ask him, what is the tender word that your heart needs to hear to feel safe with him so that you can receive more of his love? Or you can ask him what the song being sung over you is. Just think that's so beautiful. Who doesn't want to know the song that the father is singing over them? Music is that thing that kind of like, it transcends language, it transcends culture, it transcends um, our minds and it accesses a part of our spirit and our soul that we can't get to maybe with just words. He wants to access a part of your soul that maybe words haven't been able to reach. He wants to access the inner sanctum, the sanctuary of your heart and your soul. Ask him what the song he's singing of you is. Or is it time to become undignified? Ask the father that. Father, is it time to become undignified? Don't place expectations on what that should look like either because becoming undignified generally is confronting and uncomfortable. David caused other people to feel embarrassment because of his undignified worship. The woman with the alabaster jar caused other people to feel uncomfortable with her expression of worship. But it didn't stop her. She didn't not go in the room because she would have known that the response from other people would not have been positive. But she went anyway because it wasn't about other people. It was about Jesus. And it was about what he deserved. Jesus deserves your undignified worship. So is it time for that to be broken open? And who knows what it looks like, but how exciting. Imagine a church, just like go with me for a second. Imagine a church that was so unconcerned what everybody else thought. They were so only concerned with what pleased the heart of the Father, with what pleased Jesus, which what, whatever gave glory to the Spirit, that their worship was so undignified because they didn't care about the rest of the world. They had their eyes fixed on Jesus and it was his voice that they were listening for. It was his, I'm so proud of you. It's so beautiful to me that they were listening for. It was his applause they were waiting for. So that is my invitation to you to go and ask those questions or one of those questions and then to meditate on it and say, if you don't know how to get there, if you don't know how to go in the places that he wants to lead you, that's fine. It's so okay. It's actually better for you not to know because you're not going to try and be a backseat driver. You're going to be like, Jesus, you missed the turnoff. Like, just say, hey, Jesus, I don't know how to get there, but I'm willing to go if you will lead me. I'm willing to be drawn after you. I'm willing to be captivated by you. I'm willing for you to woo my heart and win my affections and win the safety and the trust of my heart so that I can, I can offer it to you truly and wholly and fully as my 
sacrifice, my living sacrifice. And um, that's all I've got. So <laughs> thank you so much, guys. Thank you.